The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Good morning, church. Super excited to be preaching this morning. Like Haley said, my name is Shane. And before I get into the word, I actually wanted to encourage you around Compassion, this organization. Over the next week, uh, by yourself, I do have the privilege of preaching, continuing this series in Exodus as we're looking at the grand narrative as God rescues his children, his people from slavery in Egypt. And so today we're looking at chapters three and four as Moses meets God for the first time. But before we get into it, I would love just to pray that God might speak through me. Lord, thank you that uh, we can still gather online this morning. No matter where we are, we are your people. We are the church. And like Haley prayed earlier, uh, we thank you that you are a good God and that you are sovereign over all. And so with all the circumstances going on in the Ukraine and here with the flooding and everything, Lord, I just pray that we can fix our eyes on you this morning. We can trust you and we can have faith in you that you are good and you are above all things. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me this morning as we open up your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just wanted to know, have you ever been asked to do something that you just really didn't want to do? Like I remember when I was 19, I got a job working at a trampoline park in North Lakes. One of my favorite jobs I've ever had so far. And I remember I loved so many things about this job, especially hiring people. I loved interviewing people, doing little fun things in interviews. But one of the most hated things I had about this job is that I had to fire people. And I remember one day the owner, the boss came up to me and was like, Shane, I need you to fire these two boys. And I just remember thinking, oh, they're my friends. I really don't want to fire them. And so I kind of let him know that, hey, I'm probably not the man for the job. They're my friends. I don't really want to fire them. And he said, look, you're the boss. You're the manager. You need to fire them. That's your job. And I remember coming back with these comebacks like, oh, I've never done it before. I've never fired anybody. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And I just really, really did not want to fire these boys. And in the end, the the owner kind of said to me, look, This is your job. You're the manager. I pay your wage. You need to fire them. And so I had to give in. I had to fire them. Look, they did deserve it. uh, But it was just something that I really, really, really did not want to do. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. I'm sure you have. Maybe you really didn't want to do something at work or maybe your wife's asked you to join the gym and you really don't want to go or maybe your parents have asked you to pick your clothes up off the floor. Whatever it is, we've all been asked to do something that we just didn't want to do. And as we look at the text today, we see that God is calling Moses to something and it really seems that he just does not want to do it. As we look at Moses' excuses and his questions back to God as to why he is not the man for the job. And so we're going to look at this, these two chapters today and we're going to see uh, Moses question God, give God these excuses and these statements as to why he's not the right person and why God needs to find someone else. And we're going to see as God responds why he is able to be trusted. We're going to see so much goodness as God uh, answers Moses' questions, answers his excuses, and then uh, really just shows Moses why he can trust him. And so as Haley just read out before, chapter 3 begins with uh, God appearing to Moses in this burning bush. And, And Moses comes close to it and God says, kind of take your sandals off. This is holy ground. And then he introduces himself as, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he says, I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. 
And then in verse 10, he says, Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. Now, as we look at this first kind of encounter with God and Moses, uh, God reveals himself as the God of uh, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he's doing this for a few reasons. Firstly, he is reminding or showing Moses that he is the covenant-making God. That he is the God that made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis. That his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. And that he would be a great nation. That the nation would be a blessing to all other nations. And so as Moses comes to this bush, God says, Hey, I'm the covenant-making God. I'm the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. But I'm also the God of your fathers. And so in this moment, God is saying to Moses, that he is Moses' God, that Moses belongs to his people. As we looked last week, Moses didn't really know where he belonged. He didn't really feel like he belonged with the Hebrews. He definitely didn't belong with the Egyptian. And now he's wandering around Midian with someone else's flock, right? And in this moment, God says, hey, Moses, you belong to me. Like you are a part of my people. And then he calls Moses. He lays it out for Moses that God is going to rescue his people from slavery and he desires to use Moses to do that. And so right from the beginning, God says, I am the one to rescue my people from slavery. Like I'm going to be the main player in this rescue mission. And yet Moses doesn't seem to be as excited as we might feel he should be as God has just said to him, hey, I'm going to rescue your people. I'm going to rescue my people out of slavery. And so we see the first of Moses' questions to God as he kind of shows God and says to God, I'm not the right guy. In verse 11, he says, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, this is a legitimate question, right? Like Moses saying, who am I to do this? And really what he's saying is Pharaoh at the time was like the most powerful emperor, the most powerful person in the known world, right? He had the greatest army, the biggest palace. And yet God is saying, hey, I want you to wander into his palace and demand that you take two million or so of his slaves and take them into the wilderness to wander around in the desert until you find the milk and the honey, right? Moses saying, who am I to do this? Like this seems crazy, like, God, I cannot do this. And yet we see God respond in verse 11. He says, but I will be with you. Now, can we be real for a second? Is that even a response? Like, it's not. Like, who am I, God? What I will be with you. Like, that's not a response to the question, who am I? Or maybe it is. Maybe it's the most truest response that we could ever get to the question, who am I? Because as we always say, when we ask this question of who am I, we need to ask the question, whose am I? And God is saying to Moses, hey, you are mine. And I am with you. As Moses questions who he is, God says, I am with you. Then Moses' identity was tied up in God's identity and who he was. And what I love about this section is God doesn't flatter Moses. Like God's not like, Moses, what are you talking about who you are? Like, you're great. You are awesome. You speak Egyptian and Hebrew. Like, you're the man for the job. No, God just says, I will be with you. This is all Moses needed to accomplish the task. Because again, God was saying, you can trust me. You can have faith in me. I will be with you because I'm the main player. 
in this rescue mission. And yet, Moses just isn't convinced. And so we read in verse 13, Moses says, But if I come to my people of Israel and say to them, God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so we get Moses' follow-up question to this first who am I question. As he says, okay, who am I? I will be with you. Okay, well then if I go to my people, God, and they ask, who are you? What am I to say? And then we get God's response. Some of the most studied words in the entire Bible is God reveals his name to Moses. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. In this moment, like we could spend the rest of the sermon trying to unpack what it means when God says, I am who I am. But it's God revealing his personal covenantal name to Moses. See, so far in this story, we have just seen God as this powerful God, but kind of behind the scenes, moving and orchestrating things. And here God reveals himself as Yahweh. He reveals his name, his personal name, Yahweh, to Moses as not just the God above things, but the God who is close, the God who is near to Moses. And he says, tell your people that Yahweh has sent you. And if we tried to understand what this I am who I am statement is, God is kind of saying in this moment that he is self-defining, like he is completely and fully self-sufficient, like he exists as nothing has ever existed before. He's the beginning and the end. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is all-present. He's the Alpha and the Omega. God is saying, I am who I am, or I have been who I have always been, and I will be who I always will be. He's the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And this is who he reveals himself to Moses to be. Tell them, I am has sent you. And so we'll see this name Yahweh throughout the rest of the Old Testament as the personal God is reveals himself as Yahweh. Like me and you define ourselves by uh, like I am a soccer player, I am tall, I am an athlete, or I am a pastor, I am a teacher, right? Like we define ourselves by other things. But God defines himself by himself. And as we read through the Bible, we will see this phrase, I am, a few times. And then we get into the New Testament. And when we meet Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, we'll see these seven I am statements. As Jesus reveals his character and nature to his disciples and those around him. He says these statements, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the the bread, these seven I am statements. And then we get to John 8, and there's an encounter with Jesus and the Jews, and they're kind of wrestling with Jesus, asking like, who are you? Why should we trust you? How do we know that you are who you say you were? And Jesus' response, well, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they kind of look at Jesus and say, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And then in John 8, 58, Jesus responds with this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And in that moment, Jesus reveals himself as the great I am. And why is this good news for us that Jesus is the great I am? It's because in 2 Corinthians 1, it says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. 
And so when Jesus says something, we can trust him. We can trust God's word and God's promises because he is faithful to keep them and because he is the great I am. Because he is unchanging, he is eternal, he doesn't change his mind. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And this is good news for Moses. This is good news for us. We can trust in God because of who he is. Because he is above all things, but also because he is with us. And so this is what God is saying to Moses. Hey Moses, you can trust me. You can put your faith in me. Come, I want to send you to rescue my people. But it's still not really enough for Moses. And so for the rest of chapter 3, God just lays out the game plan, like exactly what is going to happen. And I just want you to listen. I'm not going to read it all, but I just want you to listen to how God speaks for the rest of this chapter. I just want to pull out a few verses. Verse 17, it says, And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt, and they will listen to your voice. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do to it. And after that, he will let you go. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Like, who can talk like this? Like, who can talk like that and say, I will, I promise, it shall happen? Like, nobody except for Yahweh, the great I am. Like, I can say to Lauren, hey, I'm just going to go out to the shops to get you a coffee. I'll be back in 10 minutes. But if the road floods, that's not going to happen. Right? There's just nothing I can do about it. And yet, when God says something, it will happen. Because He promises it will happen. He is the great I am. He is the only person who can talk like this. And so he lays out the game plan for Moses. And yet Moses is still not convinced. And so we read in chapter 4, verses 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So Moses' next excuse is, oh, But they're, they're not going to believe me. They won't listen to me. Even though we just read in chapter 3 that they will believe you, Moses. God said, they will listen to you. And then here Moses is like, they're not going to believe me. But what we need to understand in this moment is that Moses is saying this because of his past. Like we, we heard last week that Moses has already tried to do this. He already thought of himself as a bit of a rescuer and he tried to rescue his people. He ended up murdering somebody and burying them in the sand. And then when his people found out, he ran away. And now he's wandering in Midian. Like he, he already thought he could do this in his own strength and he failed. And as, as Kylam said last week, Moses just didn't understand how to do God's thing, God's way. And so here again, he's saying, Lord, they're not going to believe me. Like if I go to them, they're just not going to believe me. And I wonder if me and you do this. Like we know God says something, but we just struggle to believe it. Like we know God says that he will provide everything we need. And yet sometimes we're just, oh Lord, I just lost my job and I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. Or maybe, oh Lord, I know you said that you're enough for me and that I can find satisfaction in you. And yet there's this one thing in my life that I really want and I'm longing to get and I need it to be happy. 
Or maybe it's, Lord, I know you said that I'm forgiven, but if only you'd known what I've done, if only you know what I continue to do, there's no way you would forgive me. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're questioning whether God is true to his word. Maybe you say, you know that he says one thing, but you're questioning whether you can have faith in that it's true. See, I wasn't a Christian my whole life. And sometimes I think, man, if, if only you all knew what I used to be like, there's no way that you would let me preach, let alone maybe through the doors on Sunday. And yet, then I remember, actually, God says that my past doesn't define me. God defines me. My past doesn't disqualify me. The fact that I am weak actually qualifies me to be used by God because God desires to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. This is the story of the Bible is God uses ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. Look at, look at Moses. Look at Paul, right? Paul didn't just murder one guy and bury him in the sand. He murdered a bunch of God's people. And yet arguably the greatest missionary there ever was, apart from Jesus himself. So maybe you're here this morning and you're questioning, could God really use me for anything? Can I trust what God says? Can I trust that his word is faithful? And I want to encourage you this morning, you can because of who he is. Because he is Yahweh, the great I am. And because he desires to use you to do extraordinary things. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be the greatest at whatever God's calling you to do. You just need to be obedient. You just need to trust in him. And this is all that God was calling Moses to. Just trust me, Moses. Put your faith in me. But because of Moses' doubt in this area, God gives him these three signs to kind of validate to him and to the Israelites that he did appear to him and that he is powerful to do what he says he's going to do. And so as we look at these three signs, we don't have a lot of time to cover them today. But I just want to read out real quickly. It says, The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs, then listen to your voice. You shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, as God gives Moses these three signs, and we don't have a lot of time to unpack them this morning, but most scholars and theologians believe that the snake, the serpent, resembled the power the Egyptians had, the power Pharaoh had in battle. And so when God says to Moses, hey, just pick it up, he picks the snake up and turns back into a staff. Like, that's, that's not scary, right? 
and then the leprosy kind of resembled this disease that no matter what the Egyptians had thrown at it for centuries, they couldn't heal it. And God says to Moses, hey, just hand in your cloak, bro. Pulls it out, boom, healed. Right? Like that, easy. And the Nile kind of represented the livelihood of all the Egyptians as it flowed through everything. And in a moment, God could take it away. And so what God is doing as he gives Moses these three signs is pointing to something, as signs do. is showing Moses not only is he with him in this, not only is he faithful to keep his promises, but he is powerful to do what he says. And as Moses looks at Pharaoh, this great power, he needs to be reminded that God is greater. That God is more powerful. On one hand, you have Pharaoh. On the other hand, you have the great I am. It's just, it's not a battle. And that's what he's showing Moses in this moment. That he is powerful to do what he says he is going to do. See, the Lord is all calling us to something. It might not be rescue millions of people out of slavery, right? But it's probably share the good news with your neighbor. Love those around you. Care for the poor. Right? The Lord is all calling us to something. And how do we know what the Lord is calling us to? But as we read this, God says to Moses, hey, what's in your hand? And so I just want to encourage you. Ask the question, like, what's in your hand? more practically, like who has God placed around you? Like where has God placed you? What workplace, what neighborhood has God placed you that through your faith and obedience, he might reveal his power. And as we share the gospel with those around us, we might have faith that God is able to do what he does best, call his children home and rescue them from the slavery of sin. We need to ask the question, what's in our hand? This morning, what is God calling you to? What gifts has He given you? What has He placed in your hands that you, through faithful obedience, might be used by God for His glory and for your good? And so this is what God was calling Moses to. Just give me what's in your hand. I will show you that I am powerful to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. And yet it's still not enough for Moses. He still has to question God. And so we get to verse 10 and we read this. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow to speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now, we don't know what's wrong with Moses' speech, right? Or whether there was anything wrong at all. Because we read in Acts 7.22 that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in speech and action, right? So whether there was anything wrong with Moses or not, maybe he'd been wandering with sheep for too long, we just don't know. But what we do know is God's not surprised. But God wasn't like, oh, whoa, Moses, you got a speech problem? Why didn't you say that at the beginning? No. God's not surprised. He says, who made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? And so Moses, again, is trying to make this excuse as to why he doesn't want to go and do what God is calling him to do. And I know maybe this is the excuse that I used to make the most. 
when I know that the Lord was calling me to share the gospel with those around me. Oh Lord, I just don't have the right words to say. I can't say it in the most eloquent way. Or I don't want to say the wrong thing and make them, and so that they might think that I'm more of a freak than I am, right? I don't know if it's just me or you do this as well. We think we have to have all the words perfect. But like Moses, he still didn't understand who the main player in the rescue mission was. It's God. And God says, who makes man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Who makes him mute or deaf or blind or seeing? So pretty much who lets the words come out of your mouth? Who stops the wrong words from going in their ears? And who opens the eyes of the blind? The good news is it's not me and you and Moses. It's God. God alone does this. And so he calls Moses, hey, Moses, go. Stop making excuses. Just go. But again, Moses is not convinced. And so he comes up with another excuse. And this is probably the most honest that Moses has been this entire time. We read in verse 13, he says, But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, but behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you and to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. And Moses just finally gives up and just says exactly what he feels. Hey, send someone else. I just don't want to go. And then we read that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And we need to ask what's actually going on here. Is it just that he was patient and patient and patient and he just had enough? No. Like me and you might be like that, but God is not like that. And so we need to ask, why did he become angry? Well, we know that God welcomes our questions. Legitimate or not, he welcomes our seeking and our questions. But what he doesn't welcome is blatant disobedience as he calls us to do things. And so we see the anger of the Lord kindle against Moses. But at the same time, we see the grace and the mercy of God as he says, what about your brother? What about your bro? He's going to come. He's going to be glad to see you. Let's use him. So this whole time, Moses had been resisting the call of God because of who he was, because he wasn't good enough, because of what he has done. And God is saying, it's not about you, Moses. Trust me because of who I am, because of what I have done and will do, and because I am with you, Moses. And then we read from verses 18 to 23, as Moses leaves, he goes to his father-in-law, he grabs his wife and his son, and they head on out. And then we get to what is arguably my favorite passage in these two chapters. This very strange encounter again. And as you read this, as it comes up, you will love it. And so in verse 24, it says, At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that he said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. 
Okay, there's a lot in this passage, a lot of weird things going on, right? There's circumcision, there's throwing of foreskin. Like this is a strange passage, right? And so what is actually going on? Because God had just spent this whole time convincing Moses that he was the man for the job. Showing Moses these signs and to send him to rescue his children. And then he comes to try and kill him. So what's going, like, why does this happen? And I think we, we see two things. We need to understand two things. Firstly, if God wanted Moses dead, he would be dead. It's not just that Zipporah acted quickly enough. Like she did act quickly, but God's God, right? And so he didn't mean to kill Moses, but he wanted to show Moses that death was coming. And, and then we also see that Zipporah knew exactly what was going on. Because she acted quickly, she circumcised her son and threw it on Moses' feet. And so it seemed that the issue here was Moses hadn't circumcised his son, but why? Like, why is this a big deal and why put this in the passage? Well, if we go right back to the start, as God revealed himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the covenant-making God, we see in this verse that God had just drawn a stark line in the sand. On one side was death and judgment for the Egyptians, and on the other side was life and grace and love for God's people. And we see back in Genesis, the sign that you're a part of God's covenantal people was circumcision. And so God couldn't send a man to proclaim to his covenantal people that the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God had remembered his covenant and was going to rescue them from slavery if this man and his family didn't even identify as being a part of that covenant. So God was showing Moses in this time that life only exists in covenant relationship with him. That life only exists for those who are a part of God's people. And so Zipporah circumcised her son through the foreskin at the feet and God left them alone. This is good news for Moses and this is good news for you and I because there is a new covenant through the blood of Jesus. A rescuer who heard the cries of his people who came down, who didn't make excuses or shy away from the task. He said, for the joy before him, he went to the cross for you and for me. And because of his life and death and resurrection, we have a new covenant for all those who believe are welcomed back into his family. As we place our trust and faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we are welcomed home. Life exists for those in relationship with Jesus. True life, everlasting life. This is what this passage is about. This is why it's good news for you and I as we trust Jesus. And maybe here this morning and you're not a Christian. I just want to encourage you, place your trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus, the one who knows all things, is above all things, but also desires to be with you. Desires to dwell amongst you and ultimately to use you for his glory and your good. And maybe you are a Christian here this morning. I just want to encourage you, keep trusting Jesus. Keep putting your faith in God. 
that He is able to continue to forgive your sins, that all your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future on the cross. And as you turn to Him, as you are filled by His Holy Spirit, that He might use you. And so this morning, as we think about what God is calling us to as a church and individually, I just want us to trust that God is able to do what He says He's going to do. That we can trust His Word, we can trust His promises because of who He is. It didn't matter that Moses in no way could pull off the greatest rescue mission there ever was. Because he wasn't the main player, God was. All he had to do was put his faith in God. And so for the rest of chapter 4, we read exactly what God says was going to happen, happens. Like Moses goes to the Israelites, shows them the signs, they believe, they listen, and then they worship Yahweh. And so this morning, let's trust in Jesus. Let's continue to place our faith in the great I am. And maybe some of us here this morning know God is calling us to something. Maybe he's calling you to sponsor a compassion child. Maybe he's calling you to go to that neighbor that you still haven't met yet and introduce yourself. Maybe he's calling you to have that awkward conversation with a colleague at work. Maybe he is calling you to go overseas on a missions trip. Maybe he's calling you to love your family well. Whatever it is, let's trust that God is able to work through us as he is with us to do what he is calling us to do. And that we can trust in him. We can have faith in him because of who he is. And again, if you're still not sure what God's calling you to, ask what's in your hand. What has God given you? that you might serve somebody else, that you might be generous with, that you might do all things for God's glory. And in the end, the, the good news for us is we have been rescued. If we're a Christian this morning, we have been rescued back into God's family because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that like the Israelites, we get to come together and worship Him. Because He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. So guys, I just want to encourage you again. Keep trusting Jesus. As everything around us looks like it is fading and falling apart, let's not make excuses. Let's not walk away from the faith. But trust in the great I Am, Yahweh, that He is with you. That He goes before you. And that He is all that you need. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 